This is Chasing Eternity, Season 1, Episode 4. Welcome back to Chasing Eternity. We've taken a little bit, a uh, little time off uh, due to some sickness and uh, just scheduling conflicts in general. Yes. Um, but it's, I'm glad that we're back. It's time to be back, Chris. I've missed this. I've missed this conversation. Um, it's kind of like the perfect end of my, actually it's not the end. It's no. like the perfect middle of your day. Middle of my Tuesday. There you go. So, but I, I hope uh, if you listener out there. Um, I hope you've been enjoying uh, this conversation. And uh, as always, you can join in the conversation if you want to send us an email with a question, either uh, wherever you're finding this, we will find out if you uh, put a comment on there, um, or you can email it straight to myself right now at chris at strongchurch.org. But let's kick it off with our quote of the week, Adam. All right, Christopher. Our quote of the week comes from good old Origen, who is a teacher way back in the day okay. at school in Alexandria, uh, which is in Egypt. And his quote is as follows. If we see some admirable work of human art, we are at once eager to investigate the nature, the manner, the end of its production. And the contemplation of the works of God stirs us with an incomparably greater longing to learn the principles, the method, and the purpose of its creation. This desire, this passion, has without doubt been implanted in us by God. And as the eye seeks light, as our body craves food, so our mind is impressed with the characteristic and natural desire to know the truth of God and the causes of what we observe. That's, woo, wow. You said you're excited about it. Mm. That's deep. It is deep. Origin was deep. He was. He was. I'll give him that. Um, some things stick out to me. Um, he talks about implanted in us, right? Uh, can you read that line again? Where he said he says the eye seeks light. Is that what you said? The eye seeks yes, light. Yes. He says, as the eye seeks light, as our body craves food. So our mind is impressed with the characteristic and natural desire to know the truth of God, which is that just, is so good. It's so powerful. That it, is so good. It's such a, a a testament to what we're trying to do with this podcast. Absolutely, because that's what we want. What what do things mean? Why do things matter? Why does this this piece of art, like he mentions, or why does this music speak to us so much? Yeah, and I think that desire to know and understand is something that God has implanted within us. Uh, which is something we've mentioned several times in this podcast, the idea of that eternity that God has placed within us. So what we're doing here, Origin was doing, you know, a little less than 2,000 years ago. Mm. Yes, he was one of the main proponents of the allegorical method of studying the scriptures. And so he would look and take an Old Testament passage that today we take for granted that, oh, well, that's obviously what that means, mm-hmm. and would say, well, if we look at the Old Testament scriptures, you have the ark. Well, what does the ark represent? Well, the ark, of course, is a physical boat, but it's also a symbol of the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the saving 
vessel that brings people in and the deeper meaning of the story of Noah and the ark is really about the salvation of mankind yeah uh, and co that coming through God's hand and so his idea of looking at the multiple levels of scripture and not just settling for the surface of things made him quite famous um, he of course went quite deep to some unhealthy deeps yeah. of things yeah. <laughs> uh, to where some of his teachings were later disregarded as not true. Yeah. Um, but that idea that there is a deeper meaning to everything in life, I think, speaks to something we can all relate to. Yeah, well, uh, even Peter brings that up. You're talking about the ark being a symbol of salvation. Peter says exactly that. Um, what is it? First Peter? Chapter 3. Uh, 321, mm -hmm. you know, baptism, which corresponds to this. Um, not the removal or yeah, not the removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience, for a clean conscience. That's I mean that's type and shadow, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and uh, like you said, uh, origin and some of the other scholars, some quote church fathers went a little too deep into the whole allegory mm -hmm. of things, um, <laughs> got them in trouble at times. Um, but there, there's certain parts of the Bible that are you can't deny that that's what's going on there. That there is some allegory to it. Origin, man, he mm. that quote. How did you how did you find that, Adam? Well, as I mentioned to you before we started, I've been doing a lot more reading around the uh, the fourth century church and what was happening in the 300s A.D. Uh, as the Empire of Rome started to come together and was united by Constantine and how he, whether the, the church wanted to or not, kind of forced this first council to bring all these bishops together yeah. to talk things out and clarify some scriptural, spiritual things. Uh, and so in looking at that and understanding, well, how did we get to that? Uh, kind of following what Origen said, you know, mm -hmm. what is the deeper meaning of this? We, uh, the Nicene Creed is this symbol that m the majority of the Christian world has looked at for thousands of over a thousand years now as a testament to Christian truth. Well, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. How did we get to that moment? Yeah. Where did where did history shift and move <clears throat> to bring us there? And as you work your way backward from the you know from that moment in time and forward from the end of the New Testament. There's this amazing period of history that we often don't talk about yeah. uh, because, well, it's not in the Bible, but we should because there's a lot of really interesting truth that uh, we understand about the church and about how humans talk about God that we see in those uh, second, third, and fourth centuries. Yeah, that uh, time frame, about 100 A.D. to 500, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's a, We actually have a lot of writings from, a lot. Uh, from that area of time, uh, but not a lot of people know what's going on there. And I didn't know until I went through school and, you know, we had a class on uh, very early church history and stuff like that. And we had to go through and read, um, all of these books by people with funny names. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that was very good. Mm. Very good. Um, unlike you, I have no way to really segue that into what we're going to be talking about today. Um, just Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Uh, we had talked about this, I think it was in our first episode, because they had just won, uh, what was it? It was the SAG Award, right? I think so. For yeah. Best Ensemble. And um, 
So, that, I mean, it was inevitable. It was going to happen. Right. Um, so we thought, might as well just get this one out of the way because we both want to talk about it. So many things. The show is awesome. Absolutely awesome. And the segue to this, Chris, is that there's something about this show, just like it is in any great work of art, mm -hmm. that causes us to respond. And having watched this... With, again, my expectations were pretty blank. I didn't know what it was. I heard people talking about it, like, oh, this is a great show. You should look into it. Mm -hmm. um, and thinking, okay, and turning it on. And just from the very beginning, uh, you're just pulled into the story, and it, it transports you to another time, which goes back yes. to another quote, where you're looking at a film almost that looks like it was filmed in the 80s, uh, and you have these, this cast of characters that meshes so well together. Uh, and just you know, one episode goes after another and another, and suddenly you know, you're on this adventure. Yes. Uh, and it's not about episode one to two to three. It's just this long story uh, that you're really disappointed ends, uh, but you're really happy, I think, with a lot of the things you see along the way in the development of the characters. So I really enjoyed it. It was amazing. Yeah. I believe I I I remember when the trailer came out uh, for this new Netflix show. Um, and, and it intrigued me because it, it seemed like, well, at least from the trailers, in my experience, it was, they were kind of playing up the, the horror elements of it a little, a little more than, you know, like when you watch a show, it's like this, is, I wouldn't classify the show as a horror show. Yeah. Um, but that's what, that's what initially intrigued me is like, okay, we have these kids. It kind of reminded me of, um, that, uh, movie super eight. Do oh, you yeah. remember that? Yeah, I do. J.J. Uh, Abrams. Yeah. About the monster and this group of kids. Um, and that, I mean, that has been played on a few times in, in cinema. But that's what initially intrigued me. And then, you know, I looked at uh, some of the ratings and that, you know, there wasn't uh, anything too terribly bad in it. And so I was like, oh, this is something that me and my daughter could watch together and of course mom was away for the week and so we binge watched it <laughs> there you go <laughs> together uh that week and and she loved it i loved it um so let's get into likes and dislikes what is number one thing adam what do you like most about this show boy there's a lot of things and i want to just kind of jump off what you just said there about i wanted to watch it with my kid unlike the last podcast we had where we talked about hamilton which is has its moments of not kid-friendly in it, as uh -huh. many things in history do not. This is a story that is so well told from the perspective of children, wherein there's a little bit of language here and there, yeah. but it's language that any little kid would say. Um, not that we condone that in children. It's not vulgar. It's not crude. It's not intentionally inappropriate. It's, it's a fairly family-oriented show about a mom whose son goes missing and she tries to find him and enlists help and uh, his friends try to go and find him and it's this very family-friendly-esque journey mm -hmm. uh, and even in the encounters with the monster and things like you said it's not really horror so it didn't make me feel like I couldn't watch it with a kid I mean other than having that conversation about well don't say that word even that language wasn't used in a way that that took away from the story. Mm -hmm. um, so I really appreciated that the story itself was communicated in a way that I thought was just so family appropriate. Um, a lot of stories these days you can't because of language or graphic sexuality yeah. or, or, or really graphic violence, but none of that really existed. And in terms of the horror, it was more of a thriller kind of yeah. mystery, which appeals to every age. Yeah, it grabbed you and it didn't let go. Right. And it from didn't, the beginning to the end. And it didn't have to be graphic because I think 
what made it so appealing was your imagination can run wild. And so everybody, a little kid, an old person, everyone in between, we all have our imaginations that can fill in the blanks for us. Mm -hmm. So I appreciated that there was a fairly family-friendly thriller story out there that I don't feel uncomfortable talking to my friends or people who have kids and saying, hey, that's a pretty good show. Have you seen that? Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed that it was accessible to a large population because the story is great. It's been told before in many ways, but it was a it was an accessible story that didn't allow language or violence or graphic stuff to get in the way of telling it. Yeah. I'd say for me, number one thing that I liked about the show was the nostalgia mm. of it. Uh, you know, taking place in the 80s, um, the, this group of kids would have only been about five or six years older than myself. Um, and just the just you know being transported back to the 80s of like this is what life was like mm. um and uh, also being transported back to high school and in middle school and just you know all these memories popping up but also they brought up a a big um influence in my life which was dungeons and dragons oh yeah the i mean the really a lot of the story was told through for for those kids was told through that lens of Dungeons and Dragons. You know, let me explain to you what the upside down is. And then they, you know, they talked about this uh, parallel universe, right? The the, the realm of shadows um, and how they were able to explain this based on their understanding of Dungeons and Dragons. And of course, when I was a kid and still to this day, Dungeons and Dragons is something that just uh, I very much enjoy. And the the scenes of them sitting down in the basement, you know, friends around a table, rolling dice, trying to take down the the demigorgon, the demigorgon. Um, or whatever monster pops out, and then you know, you know, flipping things everywhere, and you know, all these exciting moments. That was my childhood, Adam. <laughs> well, there we go. And so it was like it was just really nostalgic for me. Of like this was this was what I did, and now it's like. This big popular thing that everyone was able to to sit and enjoy and and not be like oh those those people are super nerds I can't believe they would do that it was like okay well you know uh, it even opened up a line of dialogue between you and I of like uh, talking about the demigorgon and, and the mythology of that and and what it means within the the D and D mythos and, and, and yeah. things like that so that was the one of the biggest things for me is just the nostalgic of going back and, and seeing not only the 80s, but also D&D. Well, that's something I think that speaks to the spiritual appeal of this show, too. One of, that thing, one of those things is nostalgia. So it pulls us back to a different place. It makes us comfortable because it's familiar. Yeah. So it used a lot of the language, a lot of the imagery that we grew up with and that we would have felt very comfortable with. Because like you said, that's where I, that was my basement. Yeah. Uh, for someone like me, I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons growing up, so there was a lot of wondering about what that meant out there. And like I said a minute ago, I liked that it made it accessible. Yeah. Uh, it didn't confuse people with a lot of the stuff that I'm sure if we got deep into Dungeons and Dragons with the mythology and the characters <laughs> and the dice and the capes and the ac- the accents, oh, I like, could almost do another podcast. Right. That, I mean, there's a whole other <laughs> realm of that that's just like, well, I don't know how to access access that because it's too complex and you know, weird people do that. Like there's kind of stereotypes that get in the way. The show made that stuff accessible, which I liked because again, it's a whole world that people don't often get to see into in terms of, hey, this is what this game is. This is what kind of that subculture looks like of people who enjoy playing it. 
it opened up a world that I think for some people too was, well, I don't know what that even means. Like Dungeons and Dragons, is that an evil thing, you know, or, or is it something bad people do? No, it's kids playing a game in the basement using their imagination. Yeah. And so I thought that that was a beautiful access point for that. And just like Origins, you know, looking at allegory, I thought the, the allegory between the Dungeons and Dragons storyline oh, yeah. and how that paralleled so well with the quest that Will and his friends yeah. were experiencing together to solve the the puzzle to defeat the dragon at the end of the you know the mission to save the princess and all yeah. that stuff. It was just so well done and everything mirrored and paralleled so well. Great writing. Um, that's the other thing for me. Like of the show, great writing, great storytelling, great characters. I mean, it seemed like every one of these, every one of the characters that was given screen time in the show had its own character arc. Mm. that in a show that only had eight episodes, you know, we're talking eight hours. I mean, they they just fleshed this thing out so perfectly that at the end of the show, even though, you know, like a lot of things were tied up, some things weren't, um, which, you know, is, makes us really excited for, for next season. Mm -hmm. They did, it was a great balance of, okay, this chapter is over, and I'm okay with that, and it felt very satisfying, but at the same time, I cannot wait for next season. Yeah, and that momentum and that energy was just amazing. And, and I laugh that you say you know, everything wrapped up so well. One of the, I don't wanna call it backlash, because it's weird that people backlash about things like this, but one of the story arcs that kind of seemed resolved, but apparently some people were not happy with, was the character Barb, who, is there for a little bit and is trying to tell her friend Nancy, hey, you shouldn't do the bad things. You should be, you know, do the right thing, make the right choices. And she kind of steps outside and then, okay, you're gone. Barb is gone. Barb's gone. And Barb's story arc is Barb is gone. Like that's the end of Barb. But the backlash was, well, what happened to Barb? Where did she go? And, you know, why was it fair that her character just kind of died? Like, is she dead? Like what happened to Barb? And people really wanted to know. And her character was, kind of a, a role, a, a, not even a major role no. in the storyline, but people were so emotionally attached to these characters that her little bright glimmer for the minute she was in it even wasn't enough. People wanted to know and wanted justice for Barb, and that just makes me laugh because, again, I think that's what a good story does. It's, I want the answers. Well, what happened to her? Why is it fair that she just disappeared? I don't think mm -hmm. that can really be the answer. There has to be more. And so that, like you said, that longingness now for season two, yes. I think really speaks to the, uh, the quality of the writing and the, the emotional appeal the characters had to we, the audience. Yeah. Well, speaking of season two, uh, we thought it would uh, be kind of nice knowing that we will have a season two now uh, coming out in October to do some predictions. Mm. Um, so, Adam, do you have any predictions you want to make about season two? Season two. I think it would be an interesting story arc to see Will's character return kind of as the hero from exile, become more of a not-so-hero from exile. Mm. And now he is somewhat of a beacon of this negative energy, wherever it is, that's now going to cause all kinds of confusion and craziness in the right side up. The yeah. normal world. In the normal world. Um, so I, I think his character is going to play the role of another Dungeons & Dragons character who I can't remember, but I read about online. Um, who is kind of this reverse hero um, where he's back, but he's not really himself. Okay. And we definitely saw that 
Um, spoiler alert! <laughs> if you yeah. haven't watched the they show, they find Will. They find <laughs> yeah. him. Um, uh, towards the end, and this is one of one of my predictions as well. Um, not not only that, um, but uh, you remember the pretty much the last scene of Will and his family all sitting around the table, and Will has to excuse himself to the bathroom, and he throws up like a, a slug, a slug thing, thing. Yeah. Um. My prediction, bold prediction here, uh, slugs in the water of wherever they're at. Where, where are they at? What's the town called? Hawking. Is that what it is? I think it's Hawking. Um, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. That is going to cause some problems. The slug slugs. that he spit up. Because ah. um, I'm thinking it's not just one slug. Like This is going to keep happening. And so he keeps on throwing up these slugs into their water source causes breeding or somehow maybe the entire town gets infected now interesting um or something like that you heard it here first right. okay there's going to be a water problem and it, we're not talking about flint michigan here. Ah. well something else i think will happen i think that 11 who is a character we have yet to mention will come back she's mm-hmm. gone for now it seems uh she is somewhere else it seems that she and sheriff hopper have continued a relationship yeah. after the defeat of the Demogorgon. Uh, and whatever that relationship looks like, I think is going to be very vital in solving whatever problem comes up next. I think that Eleven has learned how to use her powers in a way that doesn't harm her, like we see happen in season one with the mm-hmm. nosebleeds and the passing out. I think she has either conquered her fear or learned to do what she needs to do to be able to manipulate her powers in a way that is not harmful to her. So I think we're going to see her come back even stronger than ever and be, once again, the hero of season two. I thought you were going to mention the whole uh, Demigorgon 11 connection there. Well, Um, and that's, there is. So that's another interesting thing in wondering is, is Eleven still around? To me, she has to be. There's the conversation that has been, well, is Eleven really the monster? Did Eleven create the monster? Are they just the flip? kind of flip sides of the same coin mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, I look forward to seeing that fleshed out. I yeah. do. Um, but that's what I'm going to say for the time being. I think she comes back the hero. Okay. Uh, my last prediction is, what do I have on here? Um, there's going to be trouble in the Mike 11 romance. Oh, okay. Mike is, something is going to happen. Uh, I believe 11's coming back. And I maybe that kind of goes off of what you're saying. She's going to become this hero figure. Uh, it was very obvious Mike and Eleven had this kind of budding romance. Uh, and uh, I think at some point in this next season, Mike, something's going to happen like it always does. Mm. And Mike is going to become jealous um, and is going to put strain on their relationship. You heard it here first. All right. So <laughs> as we wrap this kind of to a close, we think about the spiritual implications of what yeah. we have seen. We've talked on it a little bit. Chris, what was it about Stranger Things to you? that really speaks to that eternal longingness within us, that pulls us in? I would say, what do I have here on my piece of paper in front of me? When I was, I just re-watched it like I told you uh, before we started recording. I just re-watched it this last week. Um, and one of the things that really stuck out to me was the relationship between uh, the young boys and then bringing in 11 into the mix, too. Um, just what it was like to be 
I think they're 12. They're around that age, uh, 11, 12, 13 years old. And just how the world was. Mm. So much, it was simple, right? And there's a uh, kind of, in one episode, uh, Mike and, what was his name, Lucas, got into a fight. And they were supposed best friends, right? They got into a fight over a girl. Mm. Imagine that. They got into a fight, and um, their other friend, Dustin, uh, was, you know, he comes to Mike and said, you drew first blood. So you need to go uh, apologize and and shake his hand, and just like that, just that little interaction right there, that is so you know it's they're twelve year olds. That's how they work. It's just they have this code of honor, and although you know you grow up to adult and you realize okay life isn't fair and these things don't always happen, why not? Mm. Why not, you know, you you come to the realization, okay, I drew first blood, this is my fault, I'm going to go apologize now. Hmm. Doesn't that just make sense? And then that led me to thinking about Jesus talking about, unless you become like these little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And just what exactly that means, most people attribute that to being sinless. Hmm. But I think there's so much more to it. To to becoming like a child. What do children do? They forgive very easily. Mm-hmm. They forgive and they move on. Yeah. A lot of children, um, they they don't put people into a box mm-hmm. and say, well, okay, I can kind of read you from afar and so I already know what you're like. They don't do that. You're just another kid um, that you know we have an opportunity to get along with and that that's definitely shown in their relationship to 11. Yeah. You have this girl I mean, different gender, right? She's got a shaved head, and she's a, she's got these superpowers. And so they're like, yeah, come along with us. We're going to help you. We don't really know who you are, mm. but you know, it seems like you can help us out, and we can help you out, and so they just do it. Yeah, That's, that's the one thing that really stuck out to me um, in, in Stranger Things, pointing to eternity. That's one thing that really uh, came to my mind when I was re-watching it this last time. Mm-hmm. What about you, Adam? I really thought, and we've touched on a lot of this already, that the arc of the story where, you know, somebody goes missing and there's, a, there's an effort to go and save that which is lost. And I think that that speaks really deeply to kind of that sense of justice that you mentioned with how little kids have a much better sense of what is fair and what is right and wrong sometimes than we do as adults. That idea that something has happened, the child is missing, we need to mobilize everybody. Why won't anyone believe me? Why doesn't yeah. anyone believe there's a monster? And you know, the sheriff says it, the mom says it, why won't anyone listen? And to finally be proven right or vindicated in the end that, see, we told you, this this is real. And we find the boy and the story wraps up, I think speaks to that kind of that tension within us as people to see that the story isn't quite complete or there's a mystery that we don't completely understand and that longingness for um, closure. Mm-hmm. And I think watching the story and the arc to where the boy goes missing and there are these moments where, oh, is he going to make it out? Oh, are they going to find? Oh, is someone finally going to believe them? And finally seeing this Motley crew come together and make it work. And yes, he's back and everyone is fine. Sort of. We'll see season two. Yeah. Uh, but there's this resolution. And I think that there's a desire within us to see things come to resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because as I look at story arcs, too, throughout the show, um, Steve... 
Steve is one of those characters oh, who... Steve. Oh, Nancy likes Steve. Girls always like the Steves of the world with their <laughs> fancy hair and their cool leather jackets, uh, I guess. But he's kind of a jerk. And so you don't like Steve at the beginning. He goes through these, this period of, I'm, I'm bad, I'm a jerk, I'm kind of this tough guy, I don't care what people think of me, to I realize that I have really hurt Nancy's feelings. Yeah. I have done wrong. And he tries to show penance by going and cleaning up a sign that you know some graffiti puts on while Nancy doesn't care. And well, then I'm gonna try to come back again and I'll help you with your mission. And, and at the end of the whole thing, you see like, oh, Nancy, instead of going and, and being with Jonathan, who's like the boy who's always been there with you and trying to help you out and you know he's quiet and he's whatever, Nancy ends up with Steve in the end. And it's like, I don't like that. That's not fair. Steve's the jerk. <laughs> Why does this work? But Steve's redemption story kind of makes me wonder, is this how God would look at us as human beings? You know, Jonathan kind of did what he was supposed to the whole time and, you know, was there. He was trying to be helpful. He tried to figure things out. He, he never gave up hope on finding his brother and finally found him in the end. Steve was a jerk, fell from grace, felt sorry, and that sorrow led him to repentance and yeah. he changed his ways. He was a prodigal. He was a prodigal son. And yet I feel like just like that brother and the prodigal son, Looking at Steve at the end, I'm like, Steve, why is it that you get the girl? <laughs> Steve, it's not fair. Why do you get all that? Why do you get to come in like everything's fine? You were the jerk. And then I sit and I think, oh, but that that's kind of how God would look at me and yeah. my, my walk. and Because I've gone off and I've been a jerk and I'm not always sorry, right? Like I don't always try to clean the graffiti when I goof up. Yeah. And so it's interesting, too, to get that picture of like why is it so hard for us to accept people who change? Um, and so I thought that it was a really, that was kind of a subtle message towards the end because it really shocked me that Steve and Nancy ended up together. But yeah. it was really like, I guess it makes sense. And I'm okay with it for now. Mm -hmm. uh, one other one for me was just, uh, it was really throughout the entire show, the belief in the unseen. Mm. You mentioned it. Uh, you know, these, these kids, you know, like, why won't anyone believe us? And then the mom and the sheriff and it's just like, no one's believing us. And then, you know, like through the entire show, like the, the theme of it was something to do with electricity. Mm. We're not quite sure how that works. You know, why do these lights light up when people from this universe are in the other universe and they go by this area and there happens to be a light and so it flickers. We don't know, understand what that means, but it happens. Mm. And throughout the entire show, it's, that's the kind of the... the uh, um, I don't know the indication, right? Of like, okay, there's something here that we can't see. I mean, that's I mean that's faith, right? Mm. Belief in in the unseen, and also, uh, maybe more on the nose would be spiritual warfare, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Stuff going on behind the scenes that we can't see, uh, that is very impactful and and very powerful, mm. uh, that we just simply can't see either because of our own uh, physical limitations or because of our, our blindness. We mm. choose to blind ourselves to this uh, at times. Um, but that's, I mean, that's another theme of the show is just belief in the unseen. Oh, yeah. And I think one last one for me, looking at Eleven's character, there's a moment when they're in a quarry and these bully boys are picking on, you know, our crew of guys who've been trying so hard to find Will and they're just these jerks and they're picking on these boys and Eleven appears to save them. 
and you know she uses her powers to you know, throw stuff off a cliff and does like really supernatural things. Oh yeah, and it's awesome. She's Yoda, and she is she's Yoda. But in that <laughs> moment of using her powers to help and save her friends, she's sort of sacrificing her own well-being, and she starts you know the nosebleeds. Yeah. Uh, she's she passes out like there's this physical toll on her for being the savior in mm -hmm. the moment and I just think of how we love to see and there's a part of us that understands that seeing someone sacrifice themselves for others is just this this again kind of allegory back to what Jesus did for us in coming to earth I mean he didn't have to I mean he didn't have to come and do anything for us but in doing so and in giving himself for us he suffered so that we would be saved uh, and that's just something that I think we like to see and understand that there are powers out there that are strong, that are willing to give of themselves to help us in our times of need. Absolutely. Stranger Things. Stranger Things, Chris. There's so many things. Season two in October. Let's wait for it. I, cannot, I can't wait for it. I cannot wait until season two comes out. Uh, well, thanks for, thanks for uh, sticking with us, uh, listener. And... Um, as always, uh, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our host, Strong Church, um, as well as our sister podcast, the the Porncast and uh, the Trend. Uh, if you haven't listened to those podcasts, definitely go check them out. Um, any shout outs for you, Adam? Hmm. Shout outs. I guess this week, if I were going to shout out to anyone, I would shout out to my little Maddox. I'm a big brother and big brothers and big sisters. Okay. Uh, he had a basketball game on Saturday and. He stuck it out the entire game. Uh, he gets very frustrated, and uh, I went to watch him in a game the other week, and he got frustrated and just kind of checked himself out of the game. Uh, but he persevered this past week, so I was very proud of Maddox for sticking it out the whole game. He made some baskets. He, he really gave it his all, so I'm very proud of my little Maddox. So kudos, Maddox, for sticking it out. Awesome. Uh, my last shout-out would be to my oldest daughter, Angelina, for watching this amazing show with me. Ah, there you go. Um, and now this is one of our things. We both can't wait for the next season to come out. Um, so be looking for that. Uh, this October, we're most definitely going to do something. Yes. Uh, a reaction-type show or something along those lines um, because I know when it comes out, I will be binge-watching it. Absolutely. Um, I, I find it hard. I would find it hard to wait mm. <laughs> like okay, right. let's watch one episode a night no it's not gonna be that way <laughs> it's not gonna be that way at all no. well thank you very much uh for tuning in to uh chasing eternity until next time goodbye <laughs>